You're listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Welcome to the Provoke and Inspire podcast, calling followers of Jesus to radical faith outside of the church. My name is Ben Pierce. I am the host of the show. To my right is my father, David Pierce. And in the beautifully curated black background room is Chad Ocho. I'm only here because someone told me Steve Brown was going to be here. So that's why I'm here. That's why that's why I'm here too. Yeah, yeah. We're going to bring him on in a second. I actually see him. He's in he's in like this uh the green room or the backstage room of StreamYard. Uh, it looks like he's in a hook hookah bar or something yeah he has that he had the pipe going he looks <laughs> yeah. ready to rock he We're, does he does look just to remind you steve brown is a radio broadcaster seminary professor author and the founder of key life network he previously served as a pastor for over 25 years uh, now devotes much of his time to the radio broadcast key life and steve brown etc uh, he's written many books uh, the latest of which i think he maybe he's in process or has one out and i missed it uh, is talk the walk how to be right without being insufferable which is very uh, fitting for our times. Uh, we've talked to him before. We're going to talk to him again. He is awesome. Uh, before we do that, I quickly want to mention uh, we have uh, an American SMS, a Steiger Mission School, uh, coming up. Yes. Um, I don't know if we have a, a URL for it, and and hopefully when we do have a URL for it, it'll be better uh, than the the rather terrible one for the uh, the Hope for the Global Youth Culture Tour. Um, but there is a North American Steiger Mission School, September 28th to December 6th. It's 10 weeks. It will be a combination of online and in-person uh, I'm trying to figure out where is this going to be. It's in the mountains of Colorado. Hey, maybe Steve could come. Yeah, outside of Fair Play, which sounds very uh, cordial. It does. It sounds fair. It does. Uh, that's September 28th to October 4th. 4th. Uh, then October 9th to the 11th, we have the Steiger Gathering in Minneapolis. Uh, November 5 to 15, we have Compact Schools in Minneapolis and Denver. Uh, and then something is happening from December 4th to the 6th in Houston, Texas. We don't know what, though. We don't know what because it is not labeled. Um, there Again, there is there is doesn't look like there's any URL right now, so this is very horrible advertising. And the tuition is covered. All you have to do is get there. <laughs> and as soon as we figure out what tuition is, yeah. we'll be in. So, look, we're going to we're gonna talk about this more in the coming days and weeks to, to give you some more information. But just be ready. Be excited. I am. The North American Steiger Mission School. But anyway, all right, no more waiting. We're going to bring on Steve Brown to the podcast. Yes. How's it going? <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Steve. I uh, I was looking through some of the, the more recent talks you've given, and uh, I came across one that was all about the idea of control, uh, how we as Christians are so prone to want to control our relationship with God. And I thought this was such a critical topic, uh, all the more relevant in these COVID times where so much of our control has been stripped away. Uh, so just as a way to kind of launch this conversation, then we'll just go wherever it, it, it goes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that idea, uh, how we try to control our relationship with God and the impact that that has? Oh, yeah, we do. We try. Uh, we, God becomes kind of a poker player or magician, and we bargain with him. If I'm good, uh, if I read the Bible more and go to church— uh, will you do some neat things for me? Hmm. And God becomes kind of, a, we give him a to-do list and we forget that we worship a sovereign, holy God. And it's insane that we're even in his presence. Yeah, that's right. And we couldn't do that if it weren't for 
justification and imputation and adoption. We're there by invitation, not because we deserve it. But I'm, you know, I'm a control freak. I, I like to control everything in my life. And I have to be so careful not to play that game with God. Mm. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Mm-hmm. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you've never stood before God and been scared spitless, you've been worshiping an idol. Mm-hmm. But I got to add something to that. If you've never stood before God and wondered why the fat you're even there, you're worshiping an idol. And if you've never stood before God and been loved when you knew you didn't deserve it, you're worshiping an idol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if this is an off topic, but you know, you hear people talk about if I was going to talk to God, I would ask him a few questions about this and that. You know what I mean? Like uh, why things are the way they are. Why did he allow COVID to happen? And I'm thinking you're not going to be asking God anything, right? You're, I mean, when I when I see people acting like they're going to they're going to stand up to God and ask him all these questions it's like you said they don't really have any idea what they're talking about so what is what has covid done to you in terms of like control because we had all kinds of plans this year that you know are we had to completely change and it kind of reminded me pers- again how much control i don't have and uh how is this what have you learned from from this whole pandemic Well, I've learned that I wasn't in control before COVID. I just thought I was. And so (laughs) there's been an attack of... By the way, the questions we want to ask God, Job tried that in the book of Job. And, you know, he'd had it. And we've all come to that point. And he said, God, I'm going to ask you some questions and you're going to answer me. (laughs) And God said... I don't think so. I'm going to ask you some questions and you're going to answer me. Where were you when I created? And then follows three chapters of just wild questions. And Job ends up saying in Hebrew, of course, oops, (laughs) shut my mouth. And uh, he backs off and said, I spoke too soon. I'm really not going to do that anymore. And you, you don't get it in the text, but it's there. And God reared back and gave a great big old belly laugh because he's God. I think so too. I think, I think he just has a really incredible way of helping us. Yeah. See how much we need him. So, so Steve, I have a question. We're, we're watching this, this, uh, sermon of yours on, on, um, controlling the wind and uh, there's a part like you there's well there's a whole lot of really cool stuff like you having to rewrite it four times and to, like the struggle I, I love I love experiencing the the reality of sometimes how hard it is for for us as humans to convey just like the va- even a little bit of the vastness of God but here's a couple of things that, that you said that kind of blew my mind that I'd love for you to expand on. So you said when we put a name on God, it, it's more often than not our name. 
And I was like, oh man, don't, like, can you please stop that, sir? Don't, that's hurting. Don't go there anymore. And you said, I'm not going to stop calling him father, but I am going to quit calling him Stephen. I'm not going to stop calling him Lord, but I am going to stop calling him white Anglo-Saxon Presbyterian. So I guess the, <laughs> the question is, why, why is it that we struggle so much with the idea of fashioning God into our image rather than conforming to his? You know, I, um, I think th th that uh, um, part of that is the control thing that we, yeah. you know, we like to have a God like us so we can control him because we get how we deal with other people that are like us. But I doubt whether God is as angry about that as we sometimes think he is. <laughs> uh, you know, we're human beings. And, yeah. you know, when I pray to God, there is a place of connection. Mm. And that place of connection is sometimes he's some, some like me. I'm created in the image of God. Yeah, I try not to use that as a tool to pretend that I'm controlling anything, but I think that anthropomorphic kind of thing is probably pretty human. I suspect my African and American brothers see God as black and my Asian sisters see him as Asian mm. and I see him as a Bubba like me. <laughs> and I think that's probably okay with him uh, more than we think it. Theologians and preachers get upset, and I did in that sermon, uh, but I mildly repent of whatever I said. He is, of course, a Presbyterian, and everybody knows that. And I would not suggest that you guys become Presbyterian to get to heaven. But right. Steve, would that be heaven to be in eternity with Presbyterians? Oh, no. I, I can't. You'd be in the other place. Yes, I was thinking. <laughs> if Calvinists control heaven, oh, and I am oh. one, uh, if Calvinists control heaven, we can't dance or sing. We'll kick all the charismatics out because they're obviously doing something that ended in the first century. No, I don't want Calvinist. I don't want Calvinist controlling my life. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, that's another topic. Yeah. Um, so, do you think that followers of Jesus consciously know that they're trying to control their relationship with God, or or is this more revealed in the way that they live? Like, because I think maybe part of the problem, and, and and we talked about this, you know, the the twelve step program. You got to kind of admit there's a problem. Uh, to deal with that on some levels, how conscious do you think people are of this desire to control, or is it more subtle and deceptive? Oh, I, I think it's both. I think it's subtle sometimes that we're not aware that we're doing that. And then maybe a podcast like this calls it to our attention, and all of a sudden we stop and think, you know, am I doing that? And then we repent. And by the way, repentance isn't change. It's the way God changes us if he wants to. Repentance is from a Greek word, uh, metanoia, and it means it's an attitudinal thing. We change our mind and agree with God. And at that point, the ball's in his court. I used to couldn't repent because I couldn't change. And then I realized I'd gotten it backwards. 
So there has to be repentance. And then I think that God begins to work in us and we begin to see how awesome and big he is and how very little we are and how useless it is to try to control him. But we do that in a lot of ways. We create a God we like, uh, a God who is like Santa Claus, who gives us really neat stuff that if we, we use the right principles, we name it and claim it, we'll always be healthy and drive a Mercedes and everything will be fine. And that's coming from a religion where the founder died on a cross crying, asking why God had forsaken him. I don't know where we got all that. God's scary. Um, and I think people, Christians, when the Holy Spirit, and that sermon, Follow the Wind, was named after a book I wrote on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You don't know where it comes from, but I think the Holy Spirit begins to convict, and we become not a lot better, but some better. I have a very low opinion of human nature and of human Christian nature too. That's why Jesus died on a cross for us. Yeah. So um, now I'm not, someone told me that you're really old. Is that true? That I do what? That, that you're, someone told me that you're really old. Is that true? Are you looking at, of course I'm really old. <laughs> okay. So I, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. That was just what we Yeah, you do, and it hurt, and I'm sensitive. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sorry, Chad. You shouldn't be asking Steve stuff like that. I, re I repent. But but so being that you're you're more experienced, um, what would you say that you've learned about God that you didn't expect? What do you know now that you didn't know when you were in your 30s, let's say, or your 20s? Uh, speaking of same, and I'm not above uh, trying to sell books on a podcast, I wrote a book a number of years ago and it was about its, its 10th printing. And it's, it was called, um, a pro, uh, what I learned since I knew everything. And, uh, each chapter contains things that I've learned that God is a lot more scary than I thought he was. Yeah. Self-righteousness is more dangerous than I thought it was. Um, and I've learned those things and I've learned to be a little, cut some slack for myself and cut some slack for my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a lot worse than we think we are. Have you read, you ought to get Brant Hansen on your podcast if you haven't. No, we he's haven't. He's in California and he's a delight, but he wrote a book that just came out a month ago called The Truth About Us. And it's on self-righteousness hmm. and it's the best book you can. How do you write a book on self-righteousness without being self-righteous? Hmm. And he pulled it off because he's funny. You laugh on it every other page and every other page you get convicted. He <laughs> was saying to his wife, uh, listen, Jesus got angry at the money changers in the temple and she said, honey, you don't get it. You're the money changers. <laughs> and once we began to see that, and I think I see it a little bit better than I used to. I thought, by the way, when I was 30, that I'd be a lot better than I am today. I knew I had a long way to go, but I had heroes. 
And I figured if I worked at it and was more obedient and more Christian, I'd get better and better in every way and every day. And sometimes I'm worse. Mm. And uh, But I believe in progressive sanctification. So unless God lied to me, I've got to be better in some ways. Uh, I've learned, boy, you get me started on, you get an old guy talking about what he learned over the last 40 years and he'll never stop. <laughs> I, uh, I've learned, um, I've learned that I'm not right all the time. I'm a teacher and that's my gift. And the downside of being a teacher is to correct everybody who's wrong. <laughs> uh, and when I was 30, I did a lot of that. And by the way, I'm very good at polemics and I've got a deep voice so I can really shine in that area. Yep. But I hurt a lot of people. I have this dream that when we get to heaven, God's going to say, I've got some good news and bad news for you. And somebody in the back, and it would be a Calvinist, would shout out, tell us the bad news first. <laughs> and God would say, the bad news is you were all wrong. And some of you were really wrong. <laughs> and the good news is that I've talked to my son about you, and he says you're covered. So welcome home. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. So what would you do differently if you could? Nothing. You know, because I am a Calvinist, I don't believe any of it. Even a major screw-ups is an accident. I, there's even a sense, of course, I would do some things differently. I know more, but I'd have to go back to being young, knowing what I know when I'm old. And that's not going to work. If I got back to being young, I would know what exactly I knew when I was young. And my sins would probably be greater because there's more opportunity to sin in our world than when I was 30. Uh, so I really, I don't think I would do, I think it's all been planned. And uh, some of it has been very unpleasant. Some of it has been very embarrassing and shaming. Some of it has been way cool. I mean, I've gotten to do things that I never thought I'd be able to do. I even surprised my mother and my wife. I've, uh, I've written books and I ran away from kindergarten. Somebody like me shouldn't be. And I taught at a graduate school of theology. That's, that's insane. And so a lot of it was good. A lot of it was bad. And all of it uh, was of God. Mm -hmm. I don't think we as human beings can, where we are, say, I'm a quietist. And by the way, that's a her Christian heresy from a 17th century Spanish monk by the name of Molinas. And he said, you do nothing. And our faith is not a do-nothing faith. We're supposed to move our posteriors. And I press on. The scripture is pretty clear about those kind of things. And so it's probably inappropriate to look to the present and the future and say, listen, God's in charge of this and I ain't going to do anything. But it's appropriate when you're old and you look back to say, God did it all, every bit of it. And I praise him for it.
Yeah, it's you, uh, the, the quietism you brought up was going to be my question because I, I do think that's probably where people struggle the most when it comes to this understanding of God is that, you know, he is in control. And I think we can understand that conceptually at other times that's more vivid. Other times it feels more abstract. Uh, but either way, we are humans. We're still the ones doing the things, you know, how that all works is a mystery for sure. Um, and, and so how do we, how do we balance that? Cause like you said, it's not passivity, it's not inaction, but God is in control. It, how does a person navigate that? Ben, give it up. You can't do it. My late mentor, uh, Fred Smith to say the essence of Christian maturity is to have a high tolerance for ambiguity and man for centuries, people have been trying. You ought to read J.I. Packer's book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He calls it an antimony. And uh, we're Aristotelian in our thinking, and everything's got to fit. But right. that doesn't work that way with God. The Bible clearly teaches we're responsible and free. And the Bible clearly teaches that every molecule is under God's control. And uh, so you got to live like an Arminian and believe and pray like a Calvinist and then say quid in furorum. Do you know what that is? I'm going to teach you guys something. Listen up. You'll thank me. You'll rise up and call me blessed. Uh, it means what the, uh, what the H E L L it's quid in furorum. And <laughs> I one time wrote a book on God's sovereignty, and I told him if we could title it that, I wouldn't have to write the book. Uh, so you so you hit freedom, and you hit responsibility, and you hit sovereignty, and then you have to say quid in furorum. I'm going to go get a milkshake, and maybe I can witness to somebody in the ice cream shop. So I, let me ask a follow-up question. I, I wasn't expecting to go down this road, but... I, cause my next question was about mystery, which is that, that how much of this is mystery. But, but part of what I wonder is if we can't know, can we not just do away with the labels? I, I yeah. to me, it's a little bit like, are, are the labels even helpful if we can't really know? And is God to be systematized in such a way where I have my perfect theology to me? I, I just makes, it makes me go, why bother if that's going to be the case? I hear that, and I and I think what you're saying is absolutely true. I, I think labels can interfere, but not having labels can mean you don't have any convictions either, and you don't think about anything beyond where I'm going to sleep tonight. Um, labels, in a sense, point to a way of perceiving and understanding, and it's really hard to talk about these things without sometimes using labels. Now you're talking about things like Calvinist and right. dispensationalist and charismatic, but I'm talking about things like Christian, Sure. maybe even words like Presbyterian or independent or, uh, and even words like, uh, like Calvinism and, uh, and uh, dispensationalism, they're helpful in communicating and, too much emphasis on throwing away labels, which I get, by the way. You've heard my snide and snarky comments about Calvinists. So I have real problems with the labels. But you 
but it can also mean you don't have any convictions and that you don't think about anything. And I'm, and, and you like to dance and walk through the tulips and that's enough. And it's sometimes not enough. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess what's hard for me is here's something that's, I don't have formalized, but is something working in my mind, which is that, you know, a lot of what we do is evangelistic. It's outside of the church. It's talking to non-believers and trying to communicate who Jesus is to them. So first of all, to them, these terms to me seem so far from necessary at that point that I right away have kind of a barrier to those. Also, the division that those terms cause, I, I struggle with that. But then also, to me, this is something that I need you to help me crystallize in my mind, which is that for for Jesus to be not a religion, it needs to be able to be understood by everyone. A child, it, 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 well, again, a child of a conscious age or whatever the heck that is. But the point is, it cannot be a religion of the, of the elite. It cannot be a religion of the seminary grad. It cannot be a religion of the the, the rich or the poor or the, the black or the white. It needs to be, by definition, something that anyone can understand and accept or not accept. And maybe that already labels me in a way. But the point is, it feels like a lot of these things put it into a category that then make it in a sense a religion because now you have to have all of this esoteric this ability to understand these complex terms and i don't know i, I maybe call me a doctrinal minimalist but that's something i'm wrestling with i wrote a whole book on that we talked about it last time was uh, how to uh, talk the walk how to be mm -hmm. right yep. without being insufferable you have just articulated one of the main principles i wrote in that book you have articulated an evangelistic methodology that is Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so, and he'll love you too, no matter who you're sleeping with, where you're going, what you're doing, or what you call yourself. And, and I think it's important that we begin to realize that if we can do that in a postmodern culture, we'll get a hearing. The problem is there is a lot more to the Christian faith than that. Uh, and I think the other things, uh, it's like saying, you know, I'm going to, there was a preacher on an airplane uh, with an astronomer. Um, and uh, the astronomer said, you're a preacher. And he said, yeah. He said, I keep my religion simple. Jesus loves me this and I know. And the preacher said, I keep my astronomy simple. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. And there's something in that little story. There's something to that. The Christian faith is, a, is an ocean where elephants can swim. But it's also shallow enough for children to play in. And uh, I don't think that you want to throw either one out. But I agree with everything you said, by the way. Keep right. working that through your mind. I, you yeah. know, I think we have communicated walls to people and we need to stop doing that. Yeah. And, and I guess part of my motivation, and, and first of all, to, to clarify my perspective, I certainly don't in any way suggest that just come anyone, no conditions, no surrender, no like just come, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I definitely, the cross, the cross is a, is a narrow road and it requires surrender. And, and, and I am not saved by my works, but, but my sin definitely grieves a holy God. And so 
it's certainly more complex. I just, I don't know. I, I had a conversation on a plane with a friend of mine and it was the whole, you know, classic Kelvin, Calvinism, Arminian kind of conversation. And, yeah. and we were having this conversation and I, it was respectful, but it had some moments of tension. And as I'm, as I'm leaving the plane, I'm looking back at my friend and he's reading a note and I'm confused. I'm like, what is he doing? Well, it turns out the lady in front of us overheard our conversation and she wrote a note that basically said, how dare you talk about this horrific doctrine? And again, I'm not saying if it's hard, then it must be wrong. I don't think that. I, I think there are elements of God that are very difficult to understand. But to me, I'm like, if him and I had a conversation, I, I don't know. I just, it made me question the fruit of of some of these things that we that we make it about when we should, like you said, there's a mystery element. There's a mystery. And I hear that. And I agree with everything you said. I, um, I was, uh, I, before I got on with you guys, I was on the phone with Tony Campolo. Oh, wow. Um, he's had a stroke and he almost died, but he's oh. doing a lot better now. And I talked to Peggy, uh, Tony and I don't agree on anything, but Jesus. I mean, we did a, a syndicated television program from a year out of New York where we disagreed on everything, period. I mean, except Jesus. <laughs> and uh, we had a debate scheduled uh, in Orlando uh, not too long ago. It was right after Tony came out for gay marriage. And he had been rejected by a lot of his friends. And he called me and he said, Steve, could you, uh, if you don't want to do this debate, I'll, I'll love you and, and I'll understand. And I said, Tony, your views have always been wacky. You know, this is just another one of your wacky views and you're my friend and you're going to be my friend forever. And of course we're going to have the debate. And he got emotional, passed the phone to Peggy. And I, I said, how are you guys doing? And she said, uh, we're doing good. Okay. As long as we have some people like you around, but let me, what I was going to say about Tony and me is that every time we're together, we both learn. Hmm. I, yeah. you know, I'm not going to become a wacko liberal like him and he's not going to become a right wing reactionary like me, but every time we've been together and we've been together a lot, both of us have learned from those conversations. And that's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. A, a part of the doctrine of gifts is right at this point. You know, I am a Calvinist and we bring some gifts to the body of Christ. And the dispensationalists have some gifts to bring too. And the Arminians have some gifts to bring too. And the charismatics, even the Baptists bring some gifts. And by the way, Baptists are like weeds. They grow everywhere and you can't get rid of them. But we all are a part of this thing and we, and we need to discuss it. I don't think there was a thing wrong with your conversation with that guy on the plane. The thing that was wrong is that you weren't aware of the world and she was sitting right in front of you. And, you know, if you'd hit him, that would have been wrong. If you had never spoken to him again, that would have been wrong. But I hope if he was a Calvinist that you learned something. 
And I hope if he wasn't that he learned something. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but, but we're, listen, uh, we're not been, we're not on different pages. I, we agree. If we sat down and talk, we agree on every, I agree on everything you said. Yeah. I really do. And I think sometimes we get so involved with these angels standing on the head of a pen that we forget the reality of where we've been called. Right. And I just don't think the apostles ever had that conversation. No, no. And, and I think that, that when part of it is we become detached from the suffering of the real world. And I think that when you're, and that was a little bit of, of, it was a flawed, uh, not an analogy because it really happened, but part of it was that to a watching world, these kinds of conversations seem so superfluous. I guess that was the symbolism. It's like, don't we, I don't know. And it's not that they don't matter. And I want to explore the full depths of who God is. And I want to learn, and I'm going to be learning my whole life. But if I'm going to prioritize, if I'm going to err, I'd rather have the world know me for my revolutionary love and my willingness to share the simple truth of who Jesus is and what he did for them on the cross than the theological minutia that causes so much division in the church and so much hate between people that are supposed to be known for their love. Me too. In fact, you ask what I've learned. I'm better at that than I used to be. I'm not there because I still have that mean streak, but I, uh, but I, I hear you. And that's what I, that's the direction I'm going to go in. And with you, I don't say those things are unimportant. I've given my life to them, hmm. but if you're going to prioritize men, you, you named it, you, you hit it on the head. Hmm. So I agree. And it's kind of scary when I agree with you. <laughs> For you. Well, especially with that voice, I feel like you're agreeing with my soul. I don't even feel like you're agreeing with my ears. It's... It gets old being a pretty voice all the time. <laughs> well, you're being objectified by me right now. You know what Tony Campolo used to say about our television broadcast? You know that we can put our heads together and moon America without pulling our pants down? <laughs> Look, if I learn nothing from this conversation, it's going to be that. So I only hope I have that to look forward to. We got with Chad's forehead, we're halfway there. So yeah, 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 it's true. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, look, I, I, I'm going to, you know, we'll cut it off here because we already took a lot of your time. But look, one thing I need from you, because I have to, is for you to simply say the words, you're listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast, because <laughs> We need that because it's just, you can't pay for that kind of voice. Okay, I'll say it. You're listening and watching the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I don't know what that is. It sounds terrible, but I'm going to listen. You're the funnest th around. You're weird, but you really get this thing deeply, and I appreciate your having me on. Well, for sure. Yeah, thanks, Steve. It's, it's hey, God bless you guys. Thank, Thank you, you for so having me. You too. Yeah, appreciate it. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. To listen to past episodes, search Provoke and Inspire on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are found. See you next time.